We're going to continue the conversation that we did last week. Uh, our mandate, this is the uh, quintessential, this is going to be historic, I promise. Like in the age to come, you're going to be like, remember that, that white chicken scratched uh, vision of, of what it meant to participate at Radiant or in the kingdom of God. And so I want to I want to drill down on each of these over the next probably honestly uh, month and a half two months because they're all so thick, uh, too thick to just like blast out in one sermon like I tried to do last week. Who had a chance to listen to the three and a half minute voice memo that I told you I preached the whole thing in three and a half minutes? One person, bless you. I see that too. I told you I would do it, but um, I did it on a run in my Apple Watch. Our mandate. <sighs> Is on. That's where I got it. It first came to me on a prayer run, and I just wanted to get it, so I hit record while I'm running. And so I'll send that again for those of you who didn't raise your hand. You can read it. It's just to laugh with me. Like, what a knucklehead. He sounds like he's dying because I am. I'm, my flesh is dying, and my spirit man is rising. And so, um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go through. We, we talked last week uh, which is everywhere on our podcast and our YouTube, et cetera. You can please check it out for a big picture. Um, our mandate is on earth as it is in heaven. Our mission is to disciple people into the image of Jesus. I moved motivation in my newest version of notes. Our motivation is cross-shaped love. Because he loved us first, we love. Amen. How many know the order matters? He loved us first, 1 John four nineteen. Therefore, we love him with everything back. The order matters. That's our motivation. The means is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that we, we, we um, interact with in that three-quarter recipe of prayer, worship with the word and prayer. That kind of lifestyle uh, uh, doesn't, in and of themselves, it's like uh, the best way I've heard it described, it's like power lines. The power lines don't have power, but the power lines have power because on either end, they're connected to the source, Amen. So particularly when we're worshiping in a posture of prayer, reaching for the God who's reaching for us with his word open in that kind of that environment, it's our declaration over our life. We are needy, but you are the sole and worthy, sufficient source for all that we need, Jesus. That's worship with the word in prayer. Our method, how are we going to make progress is we want to build kingdom community. We want to build communities patterned after how Jesus built community. Um which is breathtaking. So we'll spend a lot of time on that in weeks to come. And then our metrics for success, how do we know we're winning? How do we know we're doing it? Uh, joyful obedience. How many experienced success this week because you simply obeyed something God told you to do? You just did it. It, was, it may have been hard. Maybe no one saw. Maybe it was in secret. But we want to seed each other's imagination in a world that has a thousand versions and visions for success, for crushing it, for making it. We want to say the, 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 the metrics for success in the kingdom and as a, a member of this church body and certainly of, of the, the greater body is simply obeying the next thing he says. And we want to, we want to cheer each other on in that endeavor to celebrate joyful obedience. Um, so the, and then Don, who's not here today, Don, shout out if you're watching online, Don and Diane. He's like, dude, that's six M's. I'm like, bro, I could come up with more, okay? 
because six, you know, seven's the number of perfection. So we're going to add one. Our message is Jesus. There you go. So <laughs> that's not like a, that's not a crummy one to like have to try to squeeze in. Our message is Jesus. Amen. The good news of Jesus. So that's our seventh M. He's sort of implied in all six, but we want seven because suburb perfection. All in favor say aye, because that's the only time I'll say that phrase. I was watching the teaching last, last week, and I said that like four times. I'm like, that was so annoying. Why was I saying all in favor say aye? But uh, I have no idea why. I mean, I, I'm not a judge. I'm not a lawyer. I don't watch like lawyer shows. But um, so I want to drill down, oh, my goodness, in the very few minutes we have, because we're going to continue the conversation on Wednesday, on what, is, what did I mean? What, what, what do you mean our mandate? Uh, our mandate on earth as it is in heaven. And what, we, like, we don't, we're not walking around in our modern era talking about kingdoms, are we? It's not like you, like, talk to your colleague and you're like, how's your kingdom going? Right? We don't talk like, like, it's not like our part of our regular vernacular. So when we read something, like I was, I was studying, uh, Matthew's gospel has a really close relate in my heart for years. I've been just a, a student of that book, 28 chapters, beautiful book. Uh, he uses the word kingdom 55 times, 55 times. So even though we don't use language like kingdom and domain and, you know, it, as we're students of the Bible, one of the, one of the things that I'm super passionate about is we get into the world of the text. What did it mean for Jesus? What did it mean for Jesus's audience? And then doing the hard work of building a bridge to our contemporary context. It's called contextualization. How many know that takes work? Because you're like, a kingdom, what do you, what do you mean? And, and so that's what we want to unpack just briefly today. What is the kingdom? What does it mean to live on earth as it is in heaven? And how does the kingdom interface with the church? Are they the same? Are they the different? Are they different, et cetera? And so um, I just want to begin the conversation today on, I, 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 because last Sunday was such a big picture, I want to go way slower and take our time on mandate, on kingdom, and just sort of instilling some basic theology about what does it mean to be on earth as it is as it is in heaven believers. Believers who live with a, a kingdom mindset that takes its contours, its character, its shape from our King Jesus. Did you know that every ruler's kingdom is really just an extension of their own personality? We see this, right, throughout not just church history, universal history. Like usually, whatever the empire, uh, how it functioned, what it valued was typically flowed from the emperor or the king or the ruler or the lord or the master. Does that make sense? Can you just nod your head at me? So in our sense, this is why the kingdom of God is so awesome because Jesus is the king of that kingdom. And they're, and like last night, we're going through the book of Nehemiah as a family. I don't know why I chose that book because it like felt like it would be a good story that the kids would relate to. So we're reading Nehemiah chapter five last night. And it's the chapter where, uh, you know, uh, some of the exiles have returned from Babylon under King Artaxerxes and all these resources. Jerusalem's a, 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 just a mess. They rebuild the altar. They rebuild the temple. And then Nehemiah is in charge of helping rebuild the wall, like, like structure to the, to the town, to the city, safety, security, and the like. 
And in, Genesis, in, in Numbers 5, this relates to kingdom. And, and the, the shape of the kingdom flows from the nature of its king and ruler. This was so awesome. This was real-time testimony last night. So in, ne- in Nehemiah 5, it's this breathtaking chapter that Nehemiah is like, the people have been there for, for, for an extended period of time, and now they're, uh, they've, it's, it's, how many know it's easy to lose focus of the why when you're busy just doing? Can we just see a show of hands? The why. Why am I doing this? That's not just a biblical problem. That's a problem we face today. We, just, we can just go through the motions. But it's so important to remind ourselves of the why. Why are we doing this? And then number two, who we're doing it for. The why and the who. And so Nehemiah comes to the people and he realizes that, that, that it's, it's so hard. There's so much opposition to rebuilding the wall. Let me get to the point. Hurry, this wasn't even the notes. I don't have time to share this, but now this might be all that we share. Oh, God. Oh, it was so powerful to see it. I, I, I like the zeal of the Lord came over me, shocker, at my dinner table as I was sharing this with my family, with my children. I felt it so deep that I wanted them to get what I was sharing. So Nehemiah comes to the people and he sees, he sees they're scrapping. Like some of, some of the families who've come home from exile are having to sell off their kids because they're so poor to the pagan nations. So my kids were like, what, dad? And I'm like, Mackenzie, we're starting with you because it's started the oldest. She's dad. I'm like, I'm kidding. I'm not I'm totally kidding. And so Nehemiah's like, gosh, it was so hard. They had no resources. They're rebuilding their lives, so they're having to, like, cut corners. And, and then there were some people who came, and they, they came into wealth sooner because of their lineage, and, and they were lending out money with a high interest rate. And so then there was these, like, these pockets of those who had and those who didn't. Nehemiah is seeing how they're treating each other. And, he, like, they're selling into slavery and all these things. And, and Nehemiah starts confronting this behavior He's because he's a governor. He's the ruler, if you will, over this little enterprise of rebuilding the wall. And then it ends with this. So he corrects him. He's like, guys, stop charging obscene interest. We're all trying to rebuild here. We are, you can't do that. There will be a time to come into abundance, but it ain't now at the expense of your brothers who are working their butts off. Sorry, their tails off. Butts not a bad word. Tails off. Let's just say tail. Um, Rebuilding the wall, everyone's burning the candle at both ends, but there's these categories, and he starts correcting this behavior as the governor, as the overseer of this little kingdom that's being rebuilt in Judah, in Jerusalem. And then I love this. This was, oh, this is the point. This is the point. And then Nehemiah says this. He's like, there is a normal way that governors with power and rulers with power operate. They usually make all the peasants do all the hard work, and they just skim off the top. And there's this chunk of passage where Nehemiah is like, I didn't use any of my rights as a governor. None of, my, none, of, none of my posse. So imagine, like, the ruler and then his crew, they get to, like, live off the cream. <laughs> he goes, none of my homies are living that lifestyle either. They're sweating with blood and, and tears and work with the people of God around the, and he unpacks just like as a leader, as a ruler, he's like, we're not living high on the hog. We're with you. We're approachable. We're accessible. And, and, and Nehemiah by example, embodied example is able to thwart how governors, how structures, how powers and usual kingdoms work by an embodied lifestyle and work ethic. And then he's like, oh, and you usually governors get like X amount of wine, X amount of X amount of stuff. And he goes, I didn't have any of it. And as my kids are like, man, I'm, I, and so the, the point around the dinner table was, what a leader, what a ruler, what a governor. Who wouldn't want to follow a ruler like that? 
right? Imagine a ruler in his ivory tower barking orders, more bricks, build the wall higher, hurry it. You know, Sambalat and all of our adversaries, some of the pagan armies might try to reinvade Jerusalem and we got to hurry the project up, but I'm here chilling, you know, in my lazy boy, eating all the, drinking all the wine that y'all worked for. Nehemiah's like, I'm not that kind of ruler. I'm not that kind of leader. I'm among the people. I'm foregoing a lot of things I could use to my own advantage. And as I'm sharing this with my kids, this is where I turn the dial to the point of the message today. (laughs) The only point of the message today, maybe. I said, kids, this is why daddy loves Jesus so much. You think Nehemiah was a great leader. Jesus, the king of the only enduring everlasting kingdom, is the only ruler to never use power, authority. Philippians 2 describes it like this. He never used his, what he had access to to his own advantage. But it said, the Bible says in Philippians 2, he made himself, help me if you know it, nothing. Taking the nature of a servant's too weak, it's actually, it's a slave. He made an appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And as, as we talked about Nehemiah, the governor or the, the would-be king, and he wasn't called a king, but he functioned as one over Jerusalem. I'm like, guys, that's why Jesus is so worthy of following as the king of the kingdom, because he's the only amazing leader who fully emptied himself. He fully embodied what he called all of the subjects or citizens of his kingdom to embody. Does that make sense? When we, so when we think about the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, that kingdom, the character of that kingdom, how we're to operate in that kingdom, we don't have to guess, like, how does the kingdom operate? Look to the king. Ah, that's a big point. That's a big theological point. But I want to encourage you this week to read the Matthew's Gospel, 28 chapters. Maybe you can string it over a whole month if you want to do a chapter a day, 28-day month. Or you can try to squeeze in and you got this or audio Bible it or whatever. But just underline all of the passages, because honestly, we're going to use Matthew a lot over these next few months. I feel like I've been sitting on this series we're about to do for like 12 years. I mean, I've extensively set with the the shape of the kingdom from the king and and he calls us to follow him in his kingdom. But when when you just, just step one. When we think about the kingdom, the reign and the rule, the dominion and the domain of our king, all that that goes in that kingdom, all that we're meant to operate, all that we're meant to value, all that we're meant to adopt as our lifestyle, our, our, our operating system, our attitudes, all that we're meant to live and love and all that, how we're, how we're meant to relate to, to each other, everything under that canopy of kingdom, we look to the king for a firsthand glimpse of what does it mean to live in on earth as it is in heaven lifestyle. Does that make sense? So, so thank you. Megan, I felt that, yeah. I felt it. Someone gets it. Three or four of us get it. And so here I am, basically out of time today, using all of my time in Nehemiah 5. But I want to say it one last time. we look to the ruler of said kingdom to find out what that kingdom values. And for us, as those who are are seeking to follow Jesus as our king, look no no further than his life, his words, his deeds, his attitude, his action. So I'll read one passage out of Matthew 4. I'm skipping this one. 
Oh, I, I lied. <laughs> I just, I, maybe we just did this to ourselves with scheduling. Ah, okay. So what is our king like? This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. This is my son. So Jesus is baptized in Matthew 3. Read that last uh, uh, underlined part with me. Read it together. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. When you, when you internalize those words and sub son for daughter, obviously your daughter. When those words are tattooed on your heart. Did you know that those words have the capacity to free you from decades of misliving? From a lifetime of grasping, hoarding, grabbing. When you know that you're the beloved son or daughter of God that brings pleasure to Abba when he looks at you. How many have ever had that touch you in a profound way? And, and when it did, you were able to loose your white knuckle grip on whatever you were reaching for, for your identity, purpose, power, significance. When you heard those words by the Spirit, you were able to go, oh. how many have ever had that breath of, oh, I'm loved. I bring pleasure to God. And what I want to say, just as we think about the king and on earth as it is in heaven and, and, and the way the king operated and lived, I, I already preached a full message on this. So this is just just screenshot this stinker. This. So as soon as he hears these words. This is when Jesus starts his kingdom ministry. So he's everything Jesus said. Taught, again, Matthew itself, the first book of the New Testament, 55 times says the kingdom in some iteration. So everything he said, thought, taught, healed, everything that Jesus did was related to the kingdom. Just give me a thumbs up if you get it. That's why this is some taking my time, and we're going to go slow. Because everyone, we talk about Jesus, but to understand, to look at Jesus is to understand his kingdom. And to get swept up into participation in that kingdom. So he hears the words when he starts his ministry, son, I love you, and you bring me pleasure. And then the, the, the wilderness story. Remember the Satan comes to him, 40 days, he's fasting, no food or water. I don't know how he did it. Anyone else struggle with fasting? Okay. I make it a few hours, usually. Thanks for laughing. But I do sometimes better than a few hours, but hardly, barely, limping. The test in the wilderness was for the enemy for the enemy to paint a picture and to illuminate a path that he tried to get the king to take that would mirror every other kingdom before King Jesus. Stones to bread. What if Jesus would have done that? That would be going down the economic route. If you feed the world, you will rule the world. So the devil's like, take the economic route. There's a lot of kings before you, King Jesus, Messiah, that's tried that path to rule and to come into their kingdom. Then temple jumping. What's this route? Entertain the world. Wow the world. Rule the world. Why do you think so many of us are just stuck on caring about celebrities and 
people of influence and power like we actually know them. Friends, we don't know them. Okay, that's a whole other sermon. <laughs> but we live vicariously through these figures because there's that thing that draws us into entertainment. Wow, and whoa, that draws our affection, our appetites, and our allegiance. Yes? Okay. So feed the world, rule the world. That's when turn the stones to bread. Jump off the temple. Angels will catch you. Wow the world, rule the world. That's the entertainment route. And then the enemy just puts all of his cards on the table. Just worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms. So this is like to rule like through force, dominance and coercion. Does everyone see how in some way, shape or form, the kingdoms of the world have been built on one of those three faulty foundations? Economic, entertainment, militaristic or domination. And Jesus in each one is like, I am not what I produce. I am what my father says. He refuses to jump. So this is the king setting the trajectory for how his kingdom is going to manifest. You have to see it. Do you see it? Kind of? Help me. So he's trying, son of God, he's, if you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Nah, I live on every word my dad says. I am not going to choose that path that many, many kings have chosen before me. My path's different. His path had a cross at the end of it, by the way. Is categorically different. Jump off the temple. Just wow the world. You are how you perform, Jesus. Just wow them and you'll win their allegiance. No, because the way you win them is the way you have to keep them. And how many know that is a perpetual juggle that's not worth keeping the balloons or the whatever in the air, right? If you're living for the, for the praise of man, the approval of man, or if you're living gutted by the fear of man, how many know you're not living, you're in a prison cell? But many of us know that prison cell. We just call it normal life because we're living out of the paradigm of not of the kingdom of God, but the kingdoms of this world. But I want you to know there's liberty through Jesus to come out of that prison cell, not trapped by how you perform. How Do they approve? Do they applaud? And then the last one, just to bow down and worship. He's like, no thanks. The nations are my inheritance. You're right, devil, but they're on the other end of my cross. Uh, Psalm chapter 2, 6 through 10. So I'm not going to short circuit how my kingdom operates to get it power, to get what I need, to get what I want, to please myself before doing the thing that my father, the way my father's called me to do it. Are we tracking? So the wilderness is this, is the, how is the king going to operate as the son of God, as the king of the kingdom, and how is his kingdom going to express itself? So he conquers the wilderness. And then he says to me, these are like become the most important words of my life. When he, when he tells the devil to go away from him, finally, and he refuses the third temptation, he says these words. He says, worship the Lord and serve him only. And I said it about 12 or 15 sermons ago. I'll say it again today. I'll say it every day over my life, every day over our lives together. You can't find a better one-two punch to give your life to. Worship the Lord and serve him only. What else is there? family. Yeah, you're worshiping him. Trust me, you're going to need to be connected to an eternal resource to do family, right? To stay married, to have a flourishing relationship. Hello. The order matters. I'm worshiping him, which connects me, brings me in on his nature, his character, his resources, his saving powers, healing, etc. And then I'm serving. My whole life is now an expression. I'm serving his purposes. Amen. So see, you see the son of God, he wins this for us. And then, guess what his first sermon is? After he wins the battle in the wilderness for all of us to choose to be our own kings, to build our own kingdoms, and to live our own way, he conquers each of those huge, huge giants. 
build an identity on how you perform, what you possess, and how, what you produce. Just be like everyone else, function like every other kingdom. He wins that epic battle when he's starving 40 days without food or water. He destroys the de- he, all of the devil's plans to, to, to trip up how King Jesus would operate in his kingdom. And then his first sermon is, the kingdom of heaven's here, man. Who wants to enter? Do you see the order, how, how epic the order is? Aren't you thankful that Jesus went through that test so that you and I could enter into the kingdom that will actually bring us the life we long to experience? So that's the intro to our on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom that we're meant to live in and experience and express in our everyday life takes all of its cues from our king, King Jesus. And so he says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. This is his his message. Repent. Dethrone yourself. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. And why has it come near? Because the king has come near. The king is bringing his kingdom. Amen? So when we think about repentance, and then I'll pick up on this next week and then the following, because mandate is so huge. I mean, if it's used 55 times, in the I want to know what the kingdom is. I want to know how it operates. So he calls us to re- repent, and you can screenshot it, or I'll send the notes on the email this week. To repent is to respond to Jesus' love, to renounce autonomy, self-rule, and sin, to rethink our identity, plans, and purposes in light of the king and his coming kingdom, to reorient our appetites, ambitions, and allegiance around the lordship of Jesus. And I I just tweaked this last one. I liked it. Then to rely on Holy Spirit for obeying his leadership immediately and completely. Did you know that when you get brought into the kingdom, you never stop repenting? Many of us, when we think about why would he, his first message is repent, why isn't it like, hey, everybody, you be you, I'll be me. No, he's like, trust me, if you be you, you being your own little king or queen in your own kingdom, you're going to destroy yourself. How many know we're good at that? Self-destruction mode in three, two, one, like living for myself, living for my lust, living for my own pleasure. So his first word is, is not rude, repent. It's the greatest, nicest invitation he's ever given us. Like, stop, you're going to destroy yourself, trust me. I've seen humans do it for a long time, right? He's the pre-incarnate word, the uncreated son. He's seen what we do when we live the path we think will lead to life and flourishing. He's like, just trust me, just stop and enter my world instead. That's his first sermon. Stop. Trust me. I know how that path works. Enter my domain. Enter my rule and my reign. And then you'll never stop entering it. You'll never stop experiencing. You'll ne- that's why repentance is our lifestyle. It's not, oh, I feel. Remorse and repentance, though distant cousins, they're not the same. So when I say repentance is our lifestyle, it's not every believer walks around, man, life stinks, I blew it again. How many know we're not compelling to the world if that's really our operating system? Now, remorse is a gift when we feel bad for the choices we've made, how they've harmed others. But repentance is literally, Lord, I'm coming back. I want to come into agreement and alignment with the king and his kingdom. Say those two things with me. It's agreement and alignment. Agreement and alignment. So that's his first message, and guess what? That's always his message. 
hey, are you thinking out of my kingdom mindset or yours? Come. And then I just, you know, to help you, I'm responding, right? I'm renouncing. Oh, you're right, Lord. That attitude, that attitude. Nah, that's, that's not in continuity with the character of the king. Ah, I'm coming back into agreement, into alignment. It's rethinking. And what do I fill my rethinking process with? The word, the truth. This is how I know how the king thinks. I read what the king wrote by the spirit through messengers, <laughs> the Bible. I learn how he thinks. I learn about his plans and purposes when I'm with other believers who are further down the road than me. Oh, that, oh, yes, I see that in you. I see that in you. A reorientation where over a lifetime, we're learning to take all those things we used to reach for, for, for significance, for belonging, for, uh, for joy. And we're, we're, we're saying, no, Jesus, let me find those in you. And then we learn to rely. Did you know that the whole life in the kingdom is going to take the king's ongoing empowering presence to live in his kingdom? Thankfully, he's got plenty to spare to go around. So on earth as it is in heaven, that's our mandate. That means we live out of a kingdom mindset. And how do I get into the kingdom? Repent. Repent and enter. Aren't you thankful? It's not like 25 steps. Come on. We could talk about world religions and how many things you have to do to like get in favor with that God or that idol or those gods. Christianity, Jesus comes to us in our brokenness and sin. He's like, I don't condemn you. Leave that life. Follow me. Repent and get on living in my kingdom. I'm not watering down the gospel here. I'm saying this is why the gospel's so good. Just repent. What do you mean? Rethink everything. What else should I fill my mind with? Go on a journey with me. Look at the word. Look at Jesus. Let's fill, I'll show you what to fill your mind with, and let's just do this as a lifestyle. We just keep entering, keep experiencing, keep exploring life. When you work through the identity piece, that's why I wanted you to screenshot that. That would work with any person in the city. Oh, you're building your identity in what you do. Let me show you and tell you why that's a bad, a bad bet. What happens when it's all gone? Who are you? Let me tell you who, are, who you could be, who you are in Jesus. You're loved, you're a son or a daughter, and you belong to the Father. You get it? You just screenshot that one thing and who your coworkers, you can see, oh, they're building their identity on how they perform. I see it because they change in every circle of friends they're with, they change their personality. You could take them aside and go, bro, did you know you could be the same person everywhere? And they would look at you like, no, I can't. No way. Because in the flesh, we can't because we're afraid of people. We want them to, you, you get what I'm saying? But in the kingdom and in the grace of the king, we can. We could be free. Oh. How do I get in the kingdom? Repent. Start following the king. Start following the king. I'm going to stop right there because we, we got more that we'll talk about on Wednesday and the following Sundays. How many want to repent and enter the kingdom today? You just want to say, I want to respond to the king. If the kingdom of God is sort of the mega theme, I would argue throughout the whole Bible, and in particular, it's manifest through Jesus and his ministry, I certainly want to participate with him in it. And so we enter through repentance and faith. And that's just a little cheat sheet. Which one speaks to you the most? Responding, renouncing, rethinking, reorienting, relying. Just grab a hold of that and work it this week. Jesus, help me. My habits are killing me, right? My, my, 
and Christianity is not behavior modification. It's not some spin-off version of self-help. It's transformation from the inside out. It's not try harder. That would be the yoke of religion. We're going to get to it eventually. It's in a slide in the future. We get to come under the yoke of Jesus, which is light and easy. Why? Because he's carrying the majority of the weight. And just on occasion, when he knows I'm ready for it, he'll drop a little bit of his shoulder and be like, oh, this is, yeah, okay. As he sees us making progress, learning his ways, learning from his heart, loving his word and loving his ways, we get to walk with him. How many want to take all of those other yokes, all of those other ways, and come into the kingdom of God today? So, Lord, I just thank you. Repentance means to change our intent. It acknowledges that there is a new authority in charge. This is someone really smarter than me said this. I don't have the quote. Jesus invites us to repent and turn to him, and it reveals that repentance is about allegiance to the authoritative way of Jesus. I love this sentence in closing. To expunge the cultural influence of our day and to embrace the invitation of Jesus, we must repent and follow as a disciple. It's to acknowledge a change of direction and to establish a new priority in your life. So, Lord, today, all of us in this room, and I know those watching, we, we Nehemiah was just, he was a, a good version, but cheap version compared to the greatest king and ruler and Lord of all, which is you, Jesus. Thank you for Nehemiah's witness that spurred this whole thought on. But God, I, I thank you, Jesus. You call us to follow you in your kingdom today. And so, Lord, as a group, as a church, as a community, we want to be those who follow Jesus, who repent, who trust, and, Lord, find a whole new way of living as we receive that life from Jesus himself. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And we all said, amen.